games that are directly targeting kids under the age of 18 and that they're going to be looking very carefully at how companies run those businesses. And so Tencent and others will have to be careful as a result of that. Uh, What power does this local prosecutor have to maybe levy a big fine or force Tencent to change its model? Does it have the power to do that? You know, I think it's unclear how much power to actually affect change there is. I think to some to some degree it's symbolic and it's sort of sending a message to Tencent saying that there probably is going to be a closer look at how they're handling um, their services or their revenue streams that are targeted at younger consumers. But I don't I don't know what it means in terms of fines or how big they are. Typically, they don't end up being that big unless the company goes out of its way to not pay attention to what the prosecutors or the regulators are saying. Okay, Ben, thanks very much. It's always good to talk to you. That's Ben Cavender, Principal at the China Market Research Group up in Shanghai. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. In the markets, the big news this morning is very big falls in some commodities. First of all, gold is down about $40 at the moment at $1,724 an ounce. That's a fall of about 2.2%. It was down $100 earlier on this morning. Silver is down about 2.5%. Brent crude oil also falling. Uh, That's off 1.7% at $69.55 a barrel. In Asian stocks, the SX200 up about a quarter of a percent. Markets in Japan closed uh, for a public holiday. Futures markets indicating the Hang Seng is going to fall over 200 points at the moment, dropping uh, below the 26,000 mark. That's it for me. Do please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Back chat's coming up with Hugh Chiverton and Mike Rouse. The weather forecast for today... Mainly cloudy with occasional showers and thunderstorms. Sunny intervals in the afternoon. Maximum temperature of about 32 degrees. Still a few showers in the next couple of days. There is a thunderstorm warning in force right now. And the temperature, 29 degrees, 84% relative humidity. It's 8.32. Todd Harding has the half-hour news. Chief Executive Carrie Lam has paid tribute to Hong Kong's athletes, saying they had showcased the SAR's extraordinary capability by achieving the city's best Olympic results in history, with one gold medal, two silvers and three bronze. Meanwhile, the president of the International Olympic Committee, Thomas Bach, has told athletes they had brought the world together and provided hope during the pandemic. The BBC's Alex Capstick was there. The closing ceremony capped 16 days of action, which many thought would never happen. But against a backdrop of huge logistical challenges and local opposition, organisers pulled it off. The athletes still remaining in Japan gathered in the centre of a largely empty stadium. During the games, they were confined to their rooms and venues. Here, they mingled with performers during an upbeat section, which included a ska band playing a version of Beethoven's Ode to Joy. Japanese culture was showcased before the baton was passed to Paris, the hosts in 2024. The Hong Kong Sports Institute chief executive says she's absolutely delighted with the Olympic team's results. Tricia Leahy attributed the success to Hong Kong having world-class venues for athletes to train in, top coaches and the sports science technology and services to produce what she called marginal gains. She told RTHK that ongoing investment in sports was the way going forward. I think for us, what we're always looking at in terms of fine-tuning the system is the marginal gains. So, for example, if we can get a marginal gain um, in terms of an athlete's uh, physiology, in terms of the aerodynamic movement on the bike, like we've been talking about with Sarah, um, all of these things add together. 
and can produce medal-winning results. So as we look back, what we're seeing now is the result of what we've been doing for the last um, eight to ten years in terms of optimizing the system and really driving the investment from the government into those critical success factors that can produce medal-winning athletes. And a U.S. official has warned that the United States is failing in its battle against the coronavirus. Total daily new cases have soared to 118,000, their highest since February. Francis Collins, director of the National Institutes of Health, told ABC that the country would not be in this position if it had been more effective in getting people vaccinated. He said the country was paying a terrible price. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chiverton, your co-host today, Mike Rouse. Mike, good morning to you. Hugh, I've got to say on behalf of all the listeners, welcome back. Thank you very much indeed. Away fresh from my staycation in Central. (laughs) People were wondering why you weren't in the studio. They'd assume terrible things. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I've still got the marks and the shackles. Sports (laughs) development today and more COVID-19 updates. The Tokyo Olympics was the most successful ever Games for Hong Kong, with six medals in total. Uh, track star Sarah Lee won bronze uh, yesterday to become the first local athlete to win medals at two Olympic Games. What does it take to become an elite athlete? How do they balance training and academic study? What roles do schools in particular have to play in supporting students' development? Is it really a good education to train for a world-class excellence in a single activity? How can Hong Kong best prepare for the next Olympics? Let us know your thoughts, questions, and comments you can leave a message on our facebook page backchat on rthk radio 3 you can email us backchat at rthk.hk or you can call us on 233 after 9 15 we're going to be discussing latest updates in covid19 joining us for our first discussion we are now we have uh, with us dr jackie chan Kawai, who's a lecturer in the department of sports science and physical education at the chinese university uh joining us on the line uh, claudia Lau, a retired swimmer 2016 uh, Olympian and uh, Belinda Greer, who's Chief Executive Officer of the ESF, the English Schools Foundation, and uh, a member of uh, this year's uh, uh, fencing team will be joining us uh, also after the news at nine. Once again, our email is backchat at rthk.hk. Got a couple of uh, uh, comments on uh, other issues. Maybe we'll, we'll run those uh, between our two topics uh, today, so around about 9.15 uh, this morning. Uh, in the meantime, Dr Chan, maybe we'll start with you. Good morning. Thank you very much indeed for, for joining us today. So, uh, great success for Hong Kong. What, why, what, what would you think we've done right this year, this, this time around, rather? Uh, actually, at the, uh, at the beginning of uh, today's decision, I, I think uh, everyone agreed that uh, the achievement of the Hong Kong team is great compared to uh, the past years. But uh, that kind of achievement is not a measure in terms of the number of medals. Actually, the lum- uh, in terms of uh, the number of players uh, actually qualify in the final one, and uh, because uh, this year there were, we have uh, six, uh, 46 uh, Hong Kong athletes uh, qualify in uh, the final one, covering 14 uh, sports events. Comparing in the past, for example, uh, four, five years ago, just uh, 37, and uh, even in uh, 2012 uh, in London Olympics there were, uh, were 42 and then 40, uh, 34 in Beijing uh, uh, Olympics. So, so that I can say that this year is great 
not only because of the medals, because just because of their their uh, their great effort in their training, so that they are uh, so that they have good qualification. Okay, and uh, why there are lots of people asking why? Well, uh, a very mini, uh, mini uh, research analysis, uh, we can see there are some gender difference this year. Okay. What what are the gender? Yes, go on. Yes, yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, what yeah. is the gender difference? Uh, this year we have twenty-seven women uh, participate in uh, uh, Olympics. Uh, there are only four, uh, seventeen, and there are only two events. We are we call it max. So that what was uh, any um, significant change in the past or any fault? Uh, and being bought by the women pa uh, participants. We can see that in Hong Kong, because of, uh, I can see uh, the great support from the Hong Kong SI, and uh, it is also focused on uh, women, boys, and men, and girls. They are quite uh, gender equal. But uh, from the past to nowadays, actually, more women become more independent. Yeah, so that they will we consider uh, where, uh, what time to to get marriage and uh, what time to get payment. And we can see a lot of Hong Kong women and ladies they are they want to be more economics independent. Yeah, so that they can have more independent thought to participate in their training. Right. So you're, uh, Dr. Chen, if I get this right, you're saying this is actually a reflection of a much broader social trend as well. Yes, yes, totally correct. Female, uh, are stronger, uh, more independent, and making decisions. They're not just getting, ma marrying themselves off and, uh, and starting a family. They're looking at all sorts of other options. Yes, yes. Uh, of course, they are also focused on their family, but they are, have to put another role in, uh, in the time of their training. All right, uh, that's that's an interesting observation. Maybe we can, we can follow up on that. Just, I mean, looking at the the uh, the teams and the Hong Kong uh, delegation, you mentioned the SI, there, the, the the Sports Institute. Where, in general, where have they trained? Have they trained in Hong Kong? Have they trained in overseas? Is it a mixture, or, or you know, where's that skill been nurtured? Okay, uh, of course, in the past. Uh, 12 to 24 months, they, main, uh, they mainly train in Hong Kong locally because of the COVID-19. But actually, uh, because of uh, the provision of the elite training grants and some, we call it is uh, athletic uh, training fund, uh, the, the, lum the number of pa participants and athletes being, uh, being subsidized is, is great. So that actually, those who put in great, uh, type A, we call it uh, Division A or Division A plus or Division B, they can be uh, sent to uh, overseas with great support so that they can learn more from the f uh, foreign uh, culture and uh, uh, the f uh, foreign participants. So it's our sports institute is one factor, but also this international exposure also mm. very helpful. Yes, it's very helpful. Of course, I know that every system has uh, their, their improvement. Yeah, but in Hong Kong, Hong Kong SI is, have a great role in supporting athletes. Yeah. Uh, Claudia Lau is with us, a, a retired swimmer, 2016 Olympian. Now, good morning to you. Good morning. Hi, thanks many, for having me. Thanks, for, many thanks for, for joining us. Tell us your story then. Tell us about how your experience in, in Hong Kong. Because you, you also studied in uh, uh, Michigan, is that right? Like the same place as Siobhan Hockey? Yeah. 
Yeah, I study in Michigan, but um, in my younger days, when I'm in secondary school, I study in autism girls' school. Um, I guess, you know, from a younger age, the school are giving us a lot of support since sports have a greater awareness nowadays. And um, teachers and, you know, even classmates are more eager to help student-athletes to balance sports and studies together. And there's always an option and flexibility in school to actually, you know, go to overseas competitions, do long hours training. And even if we miss school for a week from like competition, school will help us um, to catch up with our schoolwork and, you know, and actually get back to our best shape to perform as a student and an athlete as well. So from a young age, um, this system really helps us to build a successful right. career ahead. So more understanding from the schools. What about parents uh, nowadays? In the past, I think parents have said, you know, read the book, do your homework. You haven't got time to go out there and, and stretch your legs and get exercise. Are parents beginning to change their attitude as well? I think parents are looking more towards, you know, how sports can actually grow, help you grow as a whole person, not just, you know, as uh, athlete, I think there's a lot of skills in sports that can be transferred for your life and for your work as well. Like the perseverance we have, the time management skills we learn from sports, all these can be transferable to your future life as well. Like if you want to be a coach or you know a professional athlete, if you don't want to be an athlete, you can still learn a lot from sports. It's not just um, a way to go for being a professional athlete, but right. it actually grows you as a person. But there's a big difference, isn't there, between uh, being healthy exercise as part of your life and reaching a level where you can compete internationally. Yeah, I guess a lot of the inter-school competitions really help to grow uh, the competitiveness in sports. Like starting at a young age, we got more exposure to competitions, even local, regional competitions that we can join. I think that's great for the growing for competitiveness sports as well. What, what are your thoughts on the success of the Hong Kong team? What, what do you put that down to? Uh, it, Dr. Chan was making some interesting observations there about uh, the status of women and the sort of expectations that uh, women have these, th these days going into the sports field. Any thoughts on that? Um, I think it's all-rounded support from everyone and how the public actually changes how they view athletes and athletes is a professional. Uh, back in the day, sometimes they don't see athletes as, you know, a professional career at all. Nowadays, people are more willing to treat it as a professional career. That's why I think um, with support all-around from SI, from uh, the government, from parents and even peers, people around us, they do treat athletes as a professional career. Is it a career, though? Or, I mean, when you've reached the top, um, you know, <laughs> how, how long does a career last? Once you've, once you've taken part in a couple of an Olympics, you're never going to be as good, are you, basically? Yeah, um, the athlete career is pretty short, but then... Um, Right now, there's a lot of support for retired athletes to go into different fields. Um, some became coaches. Some opened their own clubs. 
me myself, I go into the business world to do marketing. So um, there's a lot of options out there, and even companies out there are willing to help me. So, so is what you're doing now? Do you think has that got anything to do with your swimming career? Do you think that, that you've brought skills? You mentioned kind of perseverance and I suppose grit and time management and things like that. Does that help you now? Do you think? Yeah, it definitely helps me. Um, swimming actually brought me to a lot of great places. It opens up my horizon. Um, you view the world more internationally, and then it really transfers to you know the skills that. I got to learn, uh, I got to use in my work career. Okay, thank you. Also joining us today is the CEO of the English Schools Foundation, uh, which I should declare two of my sons went to, um, at any of the schools, uh, Belinda Greer. Good morning. Good morning. It's great to join you. Yeah, what is the ESF's uh, attitude towards sport? Is it a minor thing or a major thing? It's a, an absolute major thing. And, and can I just start by giving my congratulations to the Hong Kong team? It's just amazing to see our, our athletes um, excel as they have in this Olympics. Um, I, I think sport is um, very, very important. Um, I think schools play a critical role, just as Claudia is explaining you know, the, the, the role that this, her school played in supporting her. I think schools have a critical role to um, nurture the interest and love of sport from an early age. I mean, we all know how important fitness and sport is for, for us throughout life, and therefore it's very important that we encourage young children to participate, take part in sport. Um, you know, I would say that in ESF we have PE specialists in all of our schools, and PE um, plays an important element in the curriculum. Um, we also have a wide range of sporting activities so that um, students who are interested um, in taking part can do that. And, and you're absolutely right, not, not everybody becomes an elite athlete, but we do have to look out for those um, students who have talent and then they excel in sports. And, you know, when Claudia was describing, um, you know, what she had to do, having to balance studies with um, training and competing, it's really, really tough on students who want to, to be athletes. And I think maybe what, what we're getting better now is um, understanding that, you know, the big challenge um, for um, elite athletes um, is time. And we need to be much more flexible to accommodate the additional pressures that they have um, on their schedules, you know, having to look at training, look at competing, and as well as their academic studies. So, you know, ESS, what we've done um, over the last few years, we've focused on this because we see it as being really important. All our ESF secondary schools are elite-friendly schools. Now, what's an elite-friendly school? That's a school that has a dedicated member of staff in the school to support the athlete, um, to look at the schedule, to look at the, the work uh, demands, and to look at their training and their competing and make sure that they're able to fit all of that in. Um, all of our schools, secondary schools, are accredited by the World Academy of Sports, and that enables us to then to work with the IB to extend the, the time that's taken to um, 
complete the two-year IB diploma course. Now our, our students can do that over three or four years, depending on the pressures that they might have in fitting everything in. So I think the more that schools can do to work with um, the athletes to make sure that they're not taking part in sport and they're having to um, sacrifice their studies. Because let me tell you, the parents do not want them sacrificing their studies. I actually think if we adjust um, our timetables and we're flexible in our arrangements, um, I think the the students um, can become elite athletes and be given the time and still be successful in their their studies. So careful planning can sort of fit everything in. Would you would you really encourage the children to be elite athletes? Though I'm just thinking of it's comparable to something like I mean I mean really elite athletes, because just the the amount of time that has to be spent in practice and and training and the dedication that's required that kind of single minded focus you will inevitably lose out on other things. It's a bit like being a concert pianist. Pianist, um, uh, it's it's uh, you know you can reach the, the the peak of your career, but you will miss out on a childhood. That doesn't quite apply in the same way but it's not really a well-balanced rounded education is it to to become a world-class athlete well i suppose it's about identifying what your passion what your interest and what you your talents lie and i have absolutely no doubt that the um athletes who are at the olympics who are at the olympics this year and um, were absolutely passionate about what they were doing. You have to have that real interest and drive to be able to do all the things that they've done in terms of the training to get to that level. But, you know, I I suppose you're asking a really good question, and that is, you know, should parents, um, you know, try and... um, you know, guide their their children away from wanting to take part in sport. I I think um, if you don't have the support network around you, if you're interested interested in sport and your parents don't want you to follow that path, I think it would be very, very difficult for you to excel. I think it's the partnership working that provides the network for any aspiring athlete to be successful. So I think, you know, parents, um, you know, they, they have aspirations for their child, but I I think as Claudia was describing, you know, it's not just about participating, taking part in sport, there's transferable skills. You know, mm-hmm. if your child has the determination and grit, the drive to um, really succeed in sport, that can be transferred to other things too. And I think it's about ensuring that we do um, really value the success that our athletes um, are achieving. And yeah. it's just amazing. Dr. Chan, I mean, the other thing is, you know, we're talking about about the ESF and uh, uh, Claudia Lau, you know, went to uh, uh, DGS. Uh, we're going to be talking later to uh, to a fencer who was also from an international school, Yuchang International School. Is it one thing, you know, the international schools, the the elite schools in in Hong Kong, um, being able to afford the time and the facilities to do this kind of thing? But for most schools in Hong Kong, uh, they kind of ruled out. Can they afford this? Well, I think it is about you know, looking at priorities and I think for schools to look at how they can arrange their timetables um, to support students. I mean, we have um, a a partnership with the Hong Kong Sports Institute. All of our seven secondary schools um, have an agreed partnership that if we have students who come to ESF and are 
um, members of the, the Sports Institute that we work with them to make sure we can fit everything in. So, you know, I, I do think um, if people are um, wanting every child to succeed, when we talk about success, you know, it's so much more than academic success. I mean, I'm the, the, the proudest CEO to stand here today and say we had 64 of our students achieve the perfect score in the IB this year. You know, that is absolutely wonderful for us to be able to celebrate. But I'm every bit as proud um, of the, the student who achieved their best, be it 30 points or 40 points or 42 points, or indeed competing in uh, the Olympics. And we do have some of our alumni who were in that team um, in Tokyo um, over the past few weeks yeah. competing for Hong Kong. So it's about ensuring that we value the, the achievements, the wider achievements of every child. D Dr Chan, is it, is it for elite schools, international schools? No, I don't pro think it Sorry, this is a question for Dr Chan, Jackie Chan. Yeah, no, sorry, sorry, Dr Chan, yeah. Go on. Uh, you, you mean uh, any elite school in Hong Kong? Yeah, is this really just for elite schools and for, uh, you know, international well, schools who can afford this kind of training and this kind of, uh, this kind of dedication? Uh, in Hong Kong, actually, we call it uh, a sports school. We, uh, there are uh, two or three schools we name it uh, a sports school. One of it is uh, Lam Dai Fat uh, uh, College uh, because of the uh, Qing timetable. And, and that's a government school, is it? Uh, it is government school. Yeah, yeah, it's a local school, but international school. I can say, uh, just depends on uh, the priority and the flexibility. Otherwise, uh, there that not much difference from the local school. Okay. So I agree that uh, they have more faci uh, facility and uh, their school size uh, may be. I think better that than. we're getting close to a key question here, mm. which is: Can an ordinary local school? Um, devote those kind of resources to the planning uh, and the scale that um, Scria was talking about to, so that the, the impact on the student's academic life is kept to absolute minimum. In fact, if, with careful planning, maybe none at all. Um, so that you're developing the whole person, but are local schools up to that? Can they do it? Uh, yes, it's a challenging question. Yeah, and then challenging uh, situation because in case they their their uh, ultimate goal is just focus focusing on the public exams within uh, their twelve years, then uh, they cannot meet that goal because they have to compete the resources and the time to uh, uh, to fight for their sport achievement. So that in case we have in we can increase the flexibility. For example, in a, a lot uh, a lot of uh, Hong Kong university, they uh, have a uh, agreement with the Hong Kong SI. They can allow uh, the Hong Kong athlete to com to complete their uh, university degree within eight years, nine years, or even more. Then the ultimate goal will be still meet, but the time allowed for them to compete it will be longer. Otherwise, an extra uh, uh, except for extraordinary local school, most right. of the school cannot meet that goal. And for ordinary parents, so I'm not mm. sure there is such a thing as an ordinary parent, yep. but uh, is there still a lot of pushback from, from parents and, and local schools um, about relative priorities? Okay. Um, first, we agree. Uh, I think everyone understands parents uh, 
would like to put to the best thing, set a, a very good career path, planning for their children. They actually, what decision they make is good, I think, expected for, uh, good for their children. Second thing is, uh, according to uh, my, my study uh, five years ago already, um, I recruit, uh, randomly I recruit 16 schools in Hong Kong, secondary school, they are, the participants were uh, ninth grade participants. That it means in Hong Kong system is from three students, there are uh, 781 participants. Will follow one year, whether they increase their physical activity uh, participation or they decrease their participation. Then we want to investigate whether there is a, a significant increase in their academic performance in terms of English, Chinese, and mathematics. In this study, we can see there's no significant difference in language, but a good, we can see, is positive increment in mathematics scores. And there's another interesting finding is that um, whether you want to have a good improvement in the mathematics score, it can be came from 60 minutes revision time per day, or came from 30 minutes physical activity participation. This is their choice. You, they can reconsider whether they want to have better academic score came from which, uh, which uh, the, the time allocation. So that I, I think uh, Hong Kong parents actually they have therefore they can uh, consider which option is better for their children. Okay. Well, uh, Dr. Chan is going to stay with us. We'll say goodbye for the moment to uh, uh, Claudia Lau, a retired swimmer from the 2016 uh, Olympics. Thanks very much indeed for, for joining us, Ms. Lau. And Belinda Greer, CEO of the uh, ESF, the English Schools uh, Foundation. So we're going to be joined by Fencer as well from uh, this year's uh, Olympics uh, after the news at nine. Questions and comments welcome. Also going to be talking about COVID-19 and other unrelated issues. The weather, mainly cloudy with occasional showers and thunderstorms. Sunny intervals this afternoon. Uh, the outlook, still a few showers in the next couple of days. And it's going to be brighter in the middle of this week. The reading's now 30 Celsius with a relative humidity of 84%. Welcome back, back chat on this Monday morning, first one of the week, with Mike Rouse and me, Hugh Chiverton. We're talking about the Olympics and about sports development in Hong Kong, in particular the role of uh, schools and uh, local uh, education. Uh, we want to hear from you, as ever. Uh, give us a call. Join the conversation. 233-88266 is the number. You can email backchat at rthk.hk or you can go to our Facebook page. Oh, i better check that. Yeah, that's backchat on RTHK Radio 3. See what people have to say. OK, here's the thoughts of Mr Tang, who is uh, himself a, a teacher. Uh, Mr Tang says, uh, the sportsmen from our city have battled adversity with grit, bagging one gold, two silvers and three bronzes at Tokyo 2020. Whenever an Olympic event featuring a Hong Kong athlete is on, citizens would stop to gaze intently at mega screens fitted in shopping malls, clapping in unison and chanting the athlete's name. Whenever they fail, we breathe a collective sigh of disappointment, but never waver in our support for them. When they succeed, we roar with excitement and cry tears of joy. The considerable positive vibe and energy exuded by spectators have elevated our mood and spirit. Of course, we 
have to celebrate the success of the likes of fencer Edgar Chung, swimmer Siobhan Hockey, the women's table tennis trio, karate Grace Lau and cyclist Sarah Lee, who are also the undisputed heroes and decorated medalists. But we should also applaud the efforts of the also-rounds of our city who have shed equal amounts of blood, sweat and tears in their sports to get to the Olympic stage and represent Hong Kong. They never went down without putting up a fight against formidable opponents in the most competitive sporting event. Many of them broke their personal best or team records in their respective sports, which attest to their perseverance in surpassing their limits. Some of them even unnecessarily apologise for their subpar performance, which speaks volumes about their humility. Upon witnessing the remarkable accolades of the Hong Kong medalists, well-intentioned parents may be driven by the Olympic fever to enrol kids on a host of sports-related courses. But never should parents impose their will on kids if they do not show a sustained or genuine interest in sports. A utilitarian mindset, which entails the use of sports participation as a means to polish a kid's portfolio for school enrolment, is short-lived and is hardly the driving force behind a professional sports career. As long as kids can channel an inner athlete's dogged determination, whatever pursuit of interest they embark on, they have a shot at success in life. That is from Mr Tang. Thanks very much indeed for that. And uh, James says, Morning. I can't believe Carrie Lam didn't take the opportunity to claim the national security law was the reason for Hong Kong athlete success. Is she having doubts? I'm sure in days to come, so will the political spin. Thankfully for the majority of us in Hong Kong, we were happy just to see something apolitical from our young sports people. All the best now for our Paralympians. Congratulations. That comes from James. Yes, we've got the Paralympics to look forward to now uh, as well. Uh, joining us, uh, we have uh, uh, Dr. Jackie Chan, uh, uh, still with the lecturer in the Department of Sports Science and Physical Education at the Chinese University. We're also joined now by Mooney Chu, who's a Hong Kong team fencer from this year's uh, uh, Olympics. Uh, Ms. Chu, good morning to you. Oh, good morning. Hi, thank, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Congratulations to you and to everyone who took part in, in the Olympics. Fantastic year, of course, for, for Hong Kong. Well, what, what are your thoughts? Why do you think we, was, we, we did so well this year for uh, the Hong Kong team? Um, I think it could be because we had an extra year to train uh-huh. due to the pandemic. All right. Of course, so did everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think Hong Kong had a pretty good training system. Um, during the pandemic, we were still allowed to train just in a lockdown system, whereas I feel like maybe other athletes from the States or uh, in other places, they didn't really have a system in place. So I feel like in terms of training, we weren't as affected. Were the schools, uh, in your case, was the school supportive for your training? Uh, did you get Yeah, su- mostly, mostly supportive. Um, so I did get... Uh, a more flexible admissions criteria when I was trying to enroll for university. And I think that's what you were talking about when you said parents really wanted their kids to pursue sports as a way to get a better admission to university. Um, Obviously, not all teachers are understanding of what I do, so sometimes I do have to explain to them. But mostly the the school is quite flexible with what I do. How about your family? Do they support your sport? Yeah, my my family is very supportive, um, especially when I decided to do a three-year deferral of my graduation. Um, they fully embraced the decision because they knew it was very stressful for me. Wow, yeah, that's a, that's a big decision. It's not really one that a lot of people would be comfortable with. So really, without the family support, uh, you're left hanging out there. So that's good. How, how old were you when you knew that you wanted to be a top-class athlete? Um, so... 
I was 22 when I decided to become a full-time athlete, so I, I was only one year away from graduating. So that's quite late, was, isn't it? Yeah, it is a bit late, but I have been training since I was eight, a, a part-time. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and was there any sort of conflict between then academics and sports in your mind? Oh, for sure. Uh, I mean, being in Hong Kong, I feel like being an athlete isn't the most typical career path to pick. So I think internally I was struggling. Is this really the path for me? Is there any potential for me? Have I hit my maximum capacity? Um, And especially with, I feel like there isn't that much support in the sports sphere. It was making me doubt a lot of my decisions. So... Will you, will you hope, be hoping to go to Paris as well? That is on my mind, um, but I'm not sure yet. Right, because that's another big commitment, isn't it? Yeah, so the next goal would be the Asian Games for next year. Do you find Hong Kong a, a, a sort of sports-minded place? Um, you know, some places have a, a, you know, a stronger sports culture than, than others. Uh, how do you find Hong Kong? I think Hong Kong has improved a lot over the years, especially after Rio Olympics last year. Um, I think it's due to the media exposure, and especially after this year, I'm sure the city is going to be very um, Olympic feverish, and I'm sure a lot of kids will be signing up for fencing classes after this. So I think Hong Kong is in a good place. Right. Did you train overseas? Do you get the chance to train overseas as well? Or just compete? You did both. Um, Sorry? You you competed overseas, I think. Yeah, we compete mostly in Europe. Right. Wow. So it's just, it's certainly broadening the mind. It, it's what we were referring to earlier in the discussion about developing the whole person. Yes, for sure. Um, also, just traveling so much by yourself, I think it's a different type of training as well. Hmm. All right, some comment from uh, from our Facebook page uh, now. Let's see um, what we've got. Uh, Peter says, uh, nothing will happen. How about providing adequate space for PE lessons instead of using school rooftops? How about committing all school kids being able to swim by the time they leave primary school? How about using past sports people to train and do development work? It all costs money. The politicians don't hesitate to ask in the glory of... Uh, a basket, presumably, in the glory of Olympic medals, but spending on sport will never be high on their to-do lists. Uh, Shekhar says, well said, the medalists will often become poster models for fundraising, but the benefits hardly ever reach uh, the roots. TC says, I was delighted to see Canada and Hong Kong on the podium on day 17 for the women's sprint in track cycling. It's great to have Hong Kong having historic Olympics. Canada's performance was historic too, having won the most medals in a non-boycotted Olympics. TC says, in the US, uh, universities, especially the NCAA system, play a huge role in developing athletes. There are universities in the US known for their sports programs. Siobhan Hockey and Maggie McNeil went to Michigan. Most of the players in the NBA went through the collegiate sports system. Major universities, in a way to make themselves famous, give scholarships to talented athletes uh, uh, in all sports. TC also says, I think it would be appropriate if the Chinese embassy in Canada talks about how Maggie McNeil is ethnically Chinese. Likewise, I'm not sure if it's appropriate for the Irish consulate in Hong Kong to talk about Siobhan Hockey, who declined to represent Hong 
Ireland have Irish blood. Um, Henry says winning the Olympics is like getting the Nobel Prize. It's not easy and requires real, hard, dedicated, passionate work in the sports the sportsmen wish to pursue. Also, it involves sacrifice of playing times with friends in teenage days, training hard when your friends are having a good time in movies uh, with their families. The environment also has to be changed. Look at the sports facilities available to ordinary people. They are, in my opinion, small-scale and inadequate. Many parks in London, many cities in mainland China have better sports facilities for people to build up their physique. Parents need to focus more on sports. Entrance exam to universities should include sports marks attained to increase parents' focus on sports. Newspapers need to cover more sports, especially for Chinese media, not limited to racing, football, etc. I, as a senior, admire the Master Games in foreign countries, but the Master Games in Hong Kong has too many barriers for me. Most people want a good time exercising, and those barriers just put people off, including me. I also ask the government to upgrade sports facilities for seniors, as they seem to only serve the frail and handicapped, but the government seem deaf, such as the problem in Hong Kong. That comes uh, from Henry. Uh, Dr Chan, what do you think about you know Hong Kong as a... As a and sports culture uh, in, in Hong Kong, do you think it's quite a sporty kind of place or increasingly sporty? What would you be your reckoning? Uh, I, can, I can see uh, the situation is improving. Mm. Yes, because uh, for every five to ten years, uh, we have a, a physical fitness survey for the community. Actually, uh, Hong Kong people develop a start to develop a good exercise habit. Of course, compared to the sport achievement, there's a long way to go, com- to compete it because actually we have to devote a lot of time and resources to go for it. But uh, for just for the uh, physical activity habit, they develop a pretty well, yes. And, and, one and, and what about facilities? What do you think? Are, the, are there enough sports facilities around town? Uh, my impression is there's quite a lot, mm. actually. There's, there's, mm. there's quite a lot of uh, training grounds every, and football pitches Every district and so on. has an Olympic-sized swimming pool. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 50 metres. But uh, because there are many, many uh, sport events, so that uh, just based on uh, the, uh, the availability of the uh, Hong Kong areas, actually some of the sport events have to, have to fight for uh, the... Uh, the resources. I can see uh, after uh, the Olympics FIFA this year, I can see that I can expect more resources can be put on some of the sport events, but they are not that quite, they are not that even. Of course, and I, I think we just touched on this, apart from sport at, at a very high level, mm-hmm. there's also general fitness of the community. Um, with people exercising a bit more, which, as you mentioned, yes, uh, is a grand word for for the top. Without great participation rate in uh, in exercise, in sport, in physical activity, we cannot go at uh, that high level. Uh, right. I, uh, it, it's yeah. like a pyramid. Yes, the the bottom has to be quite broad, yes. so that you can build upon it. Yes, we have a trend for because. Uh, uh, today we have a lot of uh, dis- discussion about the relationship between the academic performance and sport participation. But actually, academic performance is affected by many, many, a bunch of factors. For example, parents' SES, their family incomes, uh, f- school facility, uh, teacher-student ratio, even uh, students can develop a habitual breakfast, the effect size is greater than, I think, is greater than the effect from the physical activity participation. So that we, uh, that, that thought, 
should change. Otherwise, the uh, physical uh, sport participation can be a barrier. We have to understand the relationship between academic performance and physical activity participation. All right. Do you think now, with the sort of these Olympics as a launch pad, and and Mooney mentioned just now they looking she's looking ahead to the Asian Games. Um, uh, is are we going to sustain it this time? Do you think? Mm, I think this time can sustain because I can. Uh, in the past two years, COVID-19 have the impact in on our medical system, but it brings a positive thought to Hong Kong people. They they want to have better body. They have want to have a healthy lifestyle. So that so that after this year, I think the the Hong Kong uh, sport culture can be sustained and can be further developed. Mooney Chu, finally, what's it what's it like being? We're talking about participation, but I mean, you were there. What what was it like taking part in the Olympics this year? Uh, you, you mean Can, no, this is for Mooney. Mooney Chu. Sorry. Yeah. What what was it like? Describe the experience uh, taking um, part this year. I think it was just very surreal because <laughs> it was held under very um, special circumstances. So just being able to be there was a very very good feeling. And being able to see other athletes and compete in the same field is also very, like a dream come true for mm. me. What's it like? I mean, all the athletes are all together. Is there competition? Do you get on? How does it work? Um, it's obviously competitive, but when we're off the piece, we're all friends. So it's a really good feeling. And it makes you feel really proud to represent um, your own country. I mean, my impression was that there was a, a very good spirit this year, that everyone was sort of congratulating each other, or often they were congratulating each other, they were being nice to each other, the athletes, you know, that they were getting on, on well together. Was that your impression as well, that there was a good kind of Olympic spirit? Yeah, for sure. I think it really goes with the slogan of the Olympics this year, like everyone was united by emotion, and I think that stands very true for the Games this year. Hmm. And was there... Were the sort of gender issues a bit different this year? I noticed that there were, for example, there were a lot more kind of mixed uh, mixed sports uh, where you had sort of a relays and sports with different legs with, with women and, me and men uh, taking part. Uh, do you felt that uh, gender issues were, were addressed in a different way this year? Yeah, I think Japan did take the extra effort to address the gender issues and include both genders in everything especially the flag bearers. I think that was one of the most significant moments. Um, it means that they're acknowledging the achievements of both genders when it comes to the opening ceremony. So I think it's very significant. Mm. Dr. Chan, did you notice that this year? Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah. Because um, compared to the past, compared to the past Olympics, uh, Japan put a great effort in maintaining the, or improving this kind of image. Well, I think it, it worked. Uh, congratulations to uh, to uh, Mooney Chu. Thank you very much indeed for joining us, and thank you very much indeed, Dr. Chan. Uh, Jackie Chan is a lecturer in the Department of Sports Science and Physical Education at the Chinese University. Thank you all very much indeed for uh, joining us this morning. Um, uh, let's go, uh, just before we get to uh, talk about uh, COVID this morning, to a couple of uh, other emails that have come in uh, over the uh, weekend on, on other issues. Um, Herman. Uh, says, while one could argue the de facto suspension of the Hong Kong Youth Student Union students uh, was harsh, 
the uh, counter-argument that individuals too ethically challenged to have no issue with glorifying someone who attempted to murder another human being should never be allowed in a reputable Hong Kong institution and that an example had to be made is compelling. I am surprised that the people who my pal Maoist Matthew likes to call the blues have not complained about journalistic ledger demand given that RTHK's report that seven members of the Hong Kong U court pleaded for leniency for the students involved neither identified those seven nor sought alternative views from other court members. The report also failed to point out that these seven court members represent a small minority in the Hong Kong U court, which consists of 65 nominated members plus the 45 members of the Hong Kong U Council and the Senate, whose size ranges from 42 to 50 members. The subsequent report uh, that over a thousand uh, Hong Kong U alumni petitioned the university also admitted the fact this figure represents a tiny minority of Hong Kong U alumni. To provide some perspective, consider that the current Hong Kong U student enrolment number is north of 21,000. But perhaps the Hong Kong U could demonstrate its compassion and forgiveness by allowing the students back on Hong Kong U campuses, just not the ones in Hong Kong. That's from Herman. Bowen says... Uh, the SJ's argument yesterday is essentially that the US and other states have committed uh, internationally wrongful acts against China, including Hong Kong, by imposing sanctions against specific officials and through other measures. China is therefore entitled to take countermeasures. Whether or not they've committed such wrongful acts is critical. The legality of any unilateral sanction depends on occasionally competing factors, especially including especially the sovereign rights of the targeting state, prohibition on the use of military force, non-intervention in the affairs of another state, and the protection of human rights based on treaty law and customary international law. Without taking any position on the matter, I refer the SJ to one germane aspect of the international law on self-help measures as recently distilled by Soya Sabedi, former UN Special Rapporteur on Human Rights in Cambodia. Quote, low-intensity measures commonly known as smart or targeted sanctions such as visa or banking restrictions or freezing of assets of those individuals who have violated human rights or those who are associated with the government of a country that has violated human rights or have contributed to such violations would not necessarily be unlawful under international law, unquote. These also cover stop, stopping trading with the state and suspending the operation of treatment uh, treaties, according to the treaties or the Vienna Convention on the Law of on Treaties. Yes, Jay is right about countermeasures taken by China being a matter of foreign affairs, the laws of which can be added to Annex 3. But their implementation in Hong Kong will also be a of commerce, finance and criminal law, on which Hong Kong may also legislate whether or not they've been put into Annex 3. Given the almost complete elimination of pan-democratic legislators and the impact of the unpredictability of bringing in mainland law on the commercial sector, why can't we leave the job to our pro-establishment legislators and government lawyers? That's from Bowen. Thanks very much indeed. Backchat.rthk.hk. Let's go to uh, COVID uh, for an update now, finally today on this uh, Monday morning's programme. Dr Chan is with us. Uh, Alvin Chan, a paediatrician, co-chair of the Advisory Committee of uh, Communicable Diseases and the Medical Association. Dr Chan, good morning to you again. Yes, good morning. Thanks for much indeed for, 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 for joining us. Um, so uh, I see that uh, Hong Kong is going to increase the number of uh, COVID tests that uh, people from c arriving here from, from low-risk countries uh, will uh, have to do. Uh, so, so it's a sort of uh, increasing uh, testing on uh, new arrivals. Um, what do you make of that? Um, why the need for that now, do you think? Yes, I think the <clears throat> government <clears throat> is eager to open up the economy uh, sooner 
and uh, so they would lower this threshold and of uh, of allowing people to come in uh, even from the higher risk uh, regions and uh, to balance that the government would require more tests so as to uh, be able to detect those who could be in the incubation period uh, when they come back and uh, so that we could detect as soon as possible the especially the mutant variants the L452R or the Delta variants um, or from USA the Lambda uh, or South American uh, the uh, other variants so um, I, I think uh, this is uh, the measures to safeguard that if somebody really comes back from these higher risk places, we still could detect uh, them as soon as possible. And uh, because for the past few days, uh, those who are detect those who were detected positive uh, usually have a CT value to be higher than 33. Uh, that is, they are likely to be dead virus, not uh, spreading the disease. So I think that why they would make such a move. Of course, this still carries some risk because even those antibody tests are positive. That is, they have some antibody level in the blood. It doesn't mean that they have the guarantee that they won't have the uh, confirmed uh, infection because the new variants, the Delta one, could even evade the testing uh, uh, from... Uh, the example of, say, uh, Israel, uh, where um, some, uh, 70% percent of the ad, uh, more than 70% of the adults have been vaccinated with uh, uh, mRNA viruses, the recent figures show that they still got the infection, but most of them were mild or asymptomatic, yet they could still spread the disease. Right. Uh, but they are successful in uh, stopping those uh, severe infections or prevent hospitalization. I think, so Dr. Chen, if I can jump in here, I think that's yes. a critical point, isn't it? The, the yes. Delta variant is spreading much more easily um, yes. and surging again in different countries, but the hospitalization rate um, yes. uh, doesn't, doesn't seem to be rocketing commensurately. So yes. the vaccinations do still seem to be effective. Yes, of course. Um, both the coronavac uh, uh, produced by Sinovac as well as the uh, BioNTech vaccines could effectively prevent the severe cases even by the uh, variant. So that's why the government had the confidence to make this move. But of course, uh, science is always developing. Uh, this is the data that we have right now so we still need to see how it develops but uh, I think Hong Kong government has balanced all these risks and make this move uh, we just hope for the best um, you know we've discussed this a, a, a lot but is it time to, to think beyond the uh, zero case strategy uh, in, in Hong Kong and, and in China in, in particular uh, China is basically you know biggest country in the world has been basically sealed off from the rest of the world for getting on yeah. to, for, for, for two years now. It, it can't go on like that, can it? Yeah, for China, it's because the internal demand is so 
huge that they could do that because 1.4 billion market mm. is still there. But in Hong Kong, with such a tiny market, I think, uh, of course, it's much more difficult for us to survive long. Um, of course, I do agree that uh, there are risks with it, especially because the percentage of uh, vaccinated population in Hong Kong is still not enough. We only have just passed... Uh, 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 50% of uh, our people right. get vaccinated, only 50. Whereas, say, for example, in Singapore, they are also opening up as well because it's only a city-state. It can't survive long as well. But they have more than uh, 60% of the uh, adult uh, of the population to have uh, vaccinated, uh, at least in the adult population. Right. So, And also, uh, for them, the elderly population and the younger population, they have higher rate of vaccination. Whereas in Hong Kong, the elderly population has only 20% vaccination. So it's really a very vulnerable group mm. in Hong Kong. So we have to guard this. And uh, I am uh, also worried that there could be uh, leaks or breakthrough uh, infections in, in such measures. But uh, we have to, uh, um, well, just wait and see and uh, hope that we could have prompt uh, change in measures if there are any changes or anyone can right. do you think the, to prevent the fifth wave. Do you think the Central People's Government is concerned also about the coming Winter Olympics? I think they should be very concerned. So they, that's why they still have the lockdown and prevent anybody coming in because that's a lesson from Tokyo. Because just before the Olympics, Tokyo, they have opened up a little. And then, well, we have witnessed the rocket soar of the, um, of the infected numbers. So uh, I think China definitely will prevent this to happen. Okay, well, uh, Dr. Chan, many thanks for joining us once again. Alvin Chan there, a paediatrician, co-chair of the Advisory Committee of Communicable Diseases with the uh, Hong Kong Medical Association. Thank, thank you very much indeed. Uh, Mike, many thanks to you. Great news about the sports, I think, generally. Yes, not, indeed. Not just the Olympics. Yeah, yeah. And uh, many thanks to uh, producer Yuki Chung. The weather, mainly cloudy, with occasional showers and thunderstorms, sunny intervals in the afternoon, temperatures up to about 32 degrees, and the outlook still be a few showers around in the next couple of days, and it will be brighter in the middle of this week. The reading's now 30 Celsius, and the relative humidity is at 82%. The Election Committee's subsector ordinary elections will be held on September 19th. The Election Committee comprises five sectors and 1,500 members. Registered electors of a geographical constituency and those who have a substantial connection with or are registered voters of the subsector are eligible for nomination. To run, please submit your nomination form subscribed by five subsector voters from August 6th to 12th. I'm 31, the news now with Todd Harding. Chief Executive Carrie Lam has paid tribute to Hong Kong's athletes, saying they had showcased the SAR's extraordinary capability by achieving the city's best Olympic results in history. The Hong Kong Sports Institute Chief Executive says she's absolutely delighted with the Olympic team's results. Tricia Leahy said that ongoing investment in sports was the way forward. And the entire population of Wuhan, the city where COVID first surfaced, has now been tested after a resurgence of COVID-19. Authorities have said they found 37 locally transmitted cases and 41 asymptomatic carriers. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to Phil Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew. Hello. Good morning.
Good morning. Morning. Hi. Good morning. And good morning to you too. How you doing? Excellent. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good day. Fine, thank you. Thanks for inviting me to your show. Oh, good morning. Good to see you. On your radio and live online, this is the Morning Brew. Good morning. Good morning to you, and welcome to a new week here on the Brew. Well, the Tokyo Olympics, wonderful success for Hong Kong, is now over. In about 10 minutes from now, AFP's Danny Hicks joins us for one last time to look back over the whole thing. Although he's staying in Japan for a while, Sports and All will return this coming Friday at its regular time of 11.10. Hopefully today our man Adam Jung will join us as well because he's been doing the evening shift. After 10, Robbie McRobbie will be with us for this week's rugby news, some of which isn't great, as you'll already know. And New York correspondent Tracy Kwan will be back with us at 10.40 with all the news and some more caffeine. Yep. Now, as local talent is the flavour of the month, after 12, we're going to be playing at least half an hour of music and song from local musicians that over the years have been recorded especially for and by us, or Radio 3 in general. Top talent. And I hope you enjoy it. Right now, it is 27 minutes to 10. It's easy when you're young and you still want it so badly 